0: This This is
1: the Second Second
0: Story Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. When I was about four years old, I woke up in the middle of the night to a strange sight. I saw an amorphous blob of swirling colors hovering on the wall above me. It didn't frighten me, and I quickly fell back asleep. When I woke up the next morning, my dad asked me how I slept and if I had had any dreams. I didn't have any dreams, I replied, but I did see God in my room. I don't quite know what it was about the vision that made me call it God, but whatever I did see that night must have had a powerful energy to give me that impression. In this week's story, teller Sandra McCollum shares her own experiences with spirits of varied origins, powers, and temperaments. Recorded live at Twisted Hippo in Chicago in October 2019, Second Story is proud to present... ...Koshmar.
0: old enough to go to school my classmates shared completely beguiling tales of magic dark forces voodoo spells gregory on the doorsteps placing dishes of cooked meals on the crypts in the cemetery and burning candles delighted my macabre curiosity my psyche was filled with legends of Kashmar, Luke Guru, witch writers, treaters, and every other ghostly supernatural entity whispered of in the swampland region of my birth. I recognized Kashmar from his description as the man who had visited me in the middle of the night in Mama's bedroom when I was three or four years old. Feelings of fear from my encounter of Kashmar that dreadful night never left me. If I close my eyes, I can still see him cloaked within glowing lights and whispering to me in his scratchy, stereophonic voice. My family did not believe in or encourage superstition. That was a dream, Mama said, dismissing my encounter as imaginary and my curiosity of the supernatural world as provincial. My classmates, however, were willing participants. Kashmar has evolved over generations into meaning nightmare. But children and adults of the French, Indian, and African heritage of Louisiana claim to have experienced him as a fearful, otherworldly presence, which rendered one paralyzed and speechless while asleep. Many claim to have seen him, including me. As an adult Kashmar's frightful presence reemerged. Though his blinding aura was gone, I recognized his conspiratorial whisper and his chilling warnings. He transported me between the illusory veneers of the real and the uncanny. He intervened, it appeared, as dream warnings, when there was pretending danger to me or my loved ones early enough for us to change the outcome. No longer a child with friends as fanciful as I, I shared with no one that I experienced the paranormal in my dreams. Time passed and I moved innocently into a haunted Chicago apartment. What a lovely place. The living room framed French windows opening to cool breezes on the lakefront. Hollow sounds echoed throughout the large apartment. Almost from the beginning, I sensed another presence, an invisible companion shadowing my movements. I reminded myself that this was the first time I had ever lived alone in such an expansive place. Maybe it was the feeling of being as tiny as a bubble in the universe, not another form of energy shattering me as it appeared. At night I heard sounds of pacing back and forth, up and down, the long At first, I thought it was the upstairs neighbors, but I became quickly convinced that someone or something shared my space with me, revealing its presence through footsteps in the dark. I resorted to keeping the lights on throughout the apartment to reassure myself that I was safe. Recalling my childhood friends teaching me superstitious remedies to combat the threatening unseen forces which surround us, I went to the nearest Catholic church and purchased a vial of holy water and had it blessed by a priest. After spraying the holy water throughout the apartment and tossing salt over my left shoulder into every corner for good measure, I confidently went to sleep under a newly hung crucifix, assured that the entity was gone. It wasn't. My landlords, Barbara and John, lived one floor beneath me. They were like surrogate parents to me and were as straight-laced and goody-two-shoes as they came. Certainly they didn't believe in ghosts. They had formerly lived in my second-floor apartment and I wondered if they had experienced the pacing sounds. I shared my experience with Barbara with some hesitancy shockingly she said that's my sister when Barbara was 10 years old she had rheumatic fever though she was unaware her 8 year old sister had scarlet fever at the same time in her delirium and feverish sleep she watched her sister bounce a ball up and down the stairway when she recovered She was astounded with the news that her sister had died. She continued to see her in a physical form. Eventually, her sister appeared as only a puff of smoke who followed her to every place she had ever lived. I said, Barbara, please tell your sister you have moved to the first floor. She laughed lightheartedly, and she said, maybe she enjoys being around you. But why, I said. I always felt she stayed with me to protect me. Maybe you need her now. I laughed at what I thought was the absurdity of her conclusion. Oddly, Barbara's ghostly little sister and I made peace with one another. I was at ease with my life when unexpectedly my former husband was murdered in a robbery. Kashmar had warned me of this in a dream long ago. I thought it wouldn't happen. Once, an African diviner told me my life story as a fable. My husband was the snake who enticed the little girl away from her family that loved her and wanted her to stay with them in the land of gumbo and tropical storms forever. After he lured her away, he abandoned her in a cold and foreign place wrapped in a cocoon of overwhelming grief that grew tendrils and pierced the earth and rooted, extending unto the other side of the universe. It became infinity. In the good times, our dance of desire enchanted us through the traceo beat of our romantic rumba. Bewitched, We cuddled in the full catastrophe. Magnetized like opposing poles in incompatibility, a child and the misery of mutual lust bound us together against our will, even after divorce. About six weeks before he was killed, my ex-husband reappeared in my life. I knew the routine. He would hang around every day to spend time with his son, he would say, and slowly romance his way back into our lives before disappearing again. But this time he was different. His courtship began right away, not hesitantly like before. I have made a big mistake, he said. Everything I thought I wanted, I already had with you. Marry me again. I want another child. I want us to be a family. I can't, I said. I want more from life than I think you can give me. I've changed, and you haven't. That didn't stop him. He persisted in his pursuit, and then he was dead. After the funeral, conflicted, my son said to my mother, Mama cried, expressing his 12-year-old astonishment at my sorrowfulness and his inability to solve the complex enigma of his parents' attachment. I watched him remove his father's photographs from the walls and the tabletops and place them in a drawer. I didn't know at the time that we would both closet this grief for years, hiding it in the covert recesses of our hearts without sharing its mournful agony with one another. That night, I sensed my ex-husband's presence. I smelled smoke as I walked past my son's room where he was asleep with a lamp on and intense and sweltering energy pushed against me. Without warning, the lampshade burst into flames. In prayer. I begged my dead ex-husband to cool his rage as he hovered between this world and the next and to protect our son. Almost immediately, my ex-husband joined the other ghost in the apartment. Each subsequent night, Barbara's ghostly little sister continued her pacing and my dead ex-husband sat on the side of my bed. The mattress depressed to accommodate his six-foot-six frame, and I felt the tender warmth of his hand gently resting in the small of my back. Sometimes he whispered words of love and apologies to me. It was all quite maddening how do you explain to friends and family that you are grieving for an ex-husband? I can hear them now. You don't need to love a dead man who didn't love you as much as you loved him. Get over it. Just like they told me when he was alive. So I remained silent. We sweethearted, as Daddy called it, Married, divorced, and can't stay away from one another? Get out of that cycle, Daddy said. But I couldn't. He couldn't. And now he was gone forever. I felt compelled to feast in public while my heart was sitting shiver in private, bereft and unconsoled. For four long years, I languished in the netherworld with Barbara's ghost little sister and the ghost of my ex-husband. The vividness of their presence was so clearly perceived, I became convinced each appeared to comfort me as I coped with grief. Lost in despair, I knew of nowhere to turn for counsel. One summer night, Kashmar, whose long absence had convinced me he had moved on, reappeared in my nightmares with an unexpected farewell. His departure from my nighttime terror empowered me to release the ghost of Barbara's little sister and my ex-husband into the abyss of the ethereal. Thank you for being with me, I told them each night, but I need you to go away. They eventually left. Maybe it was me all along who summoned them and manifested their presence to rescue me from my own menacing self-doubts. off to realize my dreams. I entered into the sunlight of a bright new world. Untold adventures awaited me.
1: This story was produced by Casey Truba, curated by Deb Lewis and Margaret Marion, and directed by Liz Rice, with music and sound design by Jeff Schaller. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this This is is the Second second
0: Story podcast. Podcast.